Today, James chapter 5, we're looking at the verses 7 through 11. We started this last week as we dealt with the topic of patience. I had a lot of comments on that this last week. Uh, patience. Almost as if it was, okay, you could talk on patience, but get it over with. <laughs> it kind of felt that way. But let's, let's treat this topic as quick and painlessly as we can and move on. But here's the thing. Of course, I get time to think these things through and, and um, chew on some really interesting thoughts that the Lord gives to us in his word. Patience is an indication of your walk with the Holy Spirit. Did you know it that way? Sometimes they say, boy, I have trouble with my patience. <laughs> well, what it means is we're having trouble with our walk with the Holy Spirit. Is this starting to hurt already? Oh, I know what it means. Uh, patience is tied to faith. And that is true too. It's tied to what we know and what we expect. And the Lord tells us so much that we should trust Him with. And, and sometimes patience is an indication of a faith issue. So, I just thought I'd throw that out first as we start the passage this uh, morning. Um, because here in verse number 7, it says, Therefore be patient, James chapter 5, if you're not there already. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gives the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourself may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Lord, this is a section that we looked at last time. We look at it again today because there is so much here for you to teach us. And I pray that our hearts are ready right now, that we're willing to receive from your hand the precious truth that we need to know, that we may feed upon it and be nourished by it and strengthened and matured through it, uh, that we might be very quick to respond your way and not the way we prefer, not the way we normally do with impatience. Teach us, Lord, today from this passage the importance of what you are saying, that we may live it and exhibit what we call living faith. Help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We've talked this through a little bit, but I'm going to keep bringing this up because you're going to memorize it eventually, and you'll be saying it in your sleep. All right. Uh, the book of James, though it sounds like a very confusing book, and if you read through it, you'd say, you know, how does all this fit together? I think the summary of it would be that the cha first chapter deals with both the examination of living faith, what it is, and the evidence of it. And that breaks the uh, first chapter almost in half. 
the evidence of living faith. And then, starting in chapter 3, all the way to the end of the book, these are the effects of it. These are, these are the application points. These are the aspects that show that this faith does exist. There are some things that we avoid because that's not a faith. And there are some things we emphasize because that is a faith. And the things we avoid in chapter 2 is partiality um, and selfishness, chapter 4, and self-sufficiency, chapter 4, and self-indulgence, chapter 5. That's really where we're studying right now. And those things, I, I think, are hard anyway. To avoid those things are very difficult in the Christian walk. But also, the positive things we are to do is in the production of works, in chapter number 2, 14 through 26, the production of self-control, in chapter number 3, and then here in chapter 5, the production of reliance on God. And quite honestly, I think that comes down to the main point of the whole book, to rely upon God. That is what it is to have faith, to rely on God. It's not just a doctrinal statement, folks. It's a living thing. It's what we do, not just what we hear. Because James even points that out, doesn't he? That we're not just to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And so we're trying to look at the application of these things that we believe and put them into practice. And these three positive aspects of living faith, I emphasize, the production of works, the production of self-control, and the production of reliance upon God. I think those are pretty strong indicators that you're walking the way you should. And I'm going to point that out as we go. But there is so much to address in this chapter. As we started into chapter number 5, he talked about the rich right off the bat, and it wasn't that he just doesn't like rich people. Uh, but as we broke the context down, there were a group that he was addressing particularly who were withholding the funds that they owed to their workers. The salaries were being uh, held back, so there was injustice. Now, it's rather interesting how these who were rich were counting on their riches to somehow promote them in the day of judgment. <laughs> they thought that would do them so good, and the Lord says, no, your, your riches are rotten. They're rusted, they're no good, they won't last anyway. And then he points out what they have done instead, is that they've gotten rich on the backs of their workers, and they have not paid them. And I bring it down to just that term injustice, and I think all of us understand it pretty well, whether we're in a situation like that, or we live in a country like ours. Injustice is everywhere. And it breaks my heart to see it, as often as it happens. Um, I'm almost ready to stop reading the news. That's where I'm at. <laughs> I'm tired of waking up in the morning and first thing I see is injustice and all the other immoral things and all the rest that's out there. But we talk about that in the start because those are certainly not those folks by, who walk by living faith, are they? We see that. Here's where it comes down to, though. Once you end it to verse number 7, there are believers who are in that spot. And he addresses them, and he says, Now, believers, I, I know the injustice of it all. And you know that the Lord is going to do something about this. He hears your cries. Be patient. 
Those are two hard words to hear when you're being run over. Be patient. Now, that's, that's giving, that's giving uh, the proper context to what we're looking at here, and I think it's important that we do that so that we know that we're just not going to blast every rich person on the planet. And uh, this verse number 7 is an entirely different thought that James just suddenly came up with. Uh, they are related to each other. So, understanding that, he gives us our instruction, starting in verse number 7 into verse number 9. There are four commands here. And we talked about it last week. They are commands. That means they're not your option. They're not suggestions. They're not something you would want to pick two out of three. They're not multiple choice either. All four commands are expected. Here's the funny thing about the Lord's commands. When He gives them, He expects people to obey. Because it comes down to either you do or you don't. Four commands. Two of them are be patient. That's half of it. The second part, well, verse 7 says be patient. Verse number 8, be patient. Verse number 9 or verse number 8, sorry, strengthen your heart. That's number 3. And verse number 9, stop complaining. All right, I told you the nature of those commands last week. They're all aorist commands in the Greek tongue, which is always fun to say, because it talks about you do it now. It's an urgent request. I'll request a command. It is start right now as if you've never done it before. Right? The implications in studying it is that they weren't doing it. That's why the, it says, do it. All right? Be patient. Because they probably weren't. And he says it again in verse number 8. Be patient. Because they probably weren't. Strengthen your heart. Again. Because they probably weren't. Stop complaining. He switched it to a present command. A present tense command means they were doing it. Now cut it out. That's where it gets painful too. Stop complaining. Stop complaining. So we got a feel for them. You've got a, a, a feel for who these people are. They're believers in the Lord. They're getting rolled over by their employer, employers who are keeping their salaries. And now that hurts. That hurts them a great deal. And in the midst of all that, James says, be patient. You're not being patient. Be patient. You're not being patient. you got to strengthen your hearts. And we've got to deal with that. We're going to talk about that, but not today. Because they weren't. And stop complaining. Hmm. Where does complaining start and just telling the facts? Where do, where do you divide those? We're going, to have a whole, we're going to have a whole sermon on complaining. How do you like that? It's coming. All right. Anyway, patience. Patience is the essence of waiting a long time before you act or react. Usually it has to do with an answer out of wrath, because that's the word. The word is macrothumio. It means long before wrath. Our human response is wrath. We want to balance this thing. They hurt us, we want to hurt them. 
He says, no, that's not what patience is. It's long on wrath. And the epitome of that is our, our Heavenly Father toward us. And I'm glad He is. <laughs> but that's waiting a long time for any action to take place here. Uh, I think that's wise, by the way. Just a side note here. I think that's wise to wait because we don't know what the next day brings. We don't know how things might change. You don't know if the Lord might change their heart. You don't know what the situation might resolve to. Sometimes we think we've got to solve it very quickly and do it our way. And you could ask a lot of Old Testament saints on that subject and ask them what happened when they tried to do it their way. It usually ended up in a mess and we had four extra chapters in every book of how they had to fix the mess. Because we want it now. Don't we? We want the solution now. Waiting is hard. Waiting is hard. What if you were told, and this is just hypothetical here, but you had a particular problem that needed resolved, and you had to wait 16 years before it was. What would you do with such a thing like that? It's not easy. That's not an easy thing to do. Just a, a, a little personal note on our part. When my daughter was born, she was premature by two months. She was tiny. I could hold her in my hand just like that. It was incredible. Very, very little, little, little baby. Well, the doctor bill was enormous. <laughs> and you know what? We happen to have been under a certain policy that if a child is born premature, they don't pay for it. And uh, suddenly, we're just getting this enormous doctor bill coming in. And so, I went down and talked to the people, you know, those kind people that sit down there and say, ha <laughs> you know, and they, they said, uh, all right, we'll set up a payment plan for you. How would that work? I said, okay, let's do it. What else can I do? So, they said, um, how much can you give us? I said, $25 a month. They said, Okay. Calculated it out. I'll be 104 when it's paid off. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll go for it. $25. So I, I made the agreement with them. And uh, so we started off on that plan. And the whole time I was thinking, when she got married, I've got a gift for her uh, spouse. Um, so I just kept paying. And really, literally, I, I kept a little book. And every month I recorded, I paid. And how much, you know, the 25 and the date and everything. 16 years. 16 years I had been paying like that. And I got a call on the phone one day, and uh, this person on the other side says, what's this check for? I said, well, it's my $25 payment. I send it to you every month. They said, well, we've got a problem on this side because we lost that file. And they said, would you mind if we just mark it paid in full? <laughs> and I said... Send me a copy of that. <laughs> they did. They did. I, I'm just saying this. A little thing like this. It was a burden. It was a little burden, but it was there every single month. I saw that balance. Every single month. It doesn't move much at $25 a month. But as you walk your way through that, I said, well, Lord, all I can do is just keep doing what I promised. Pay my 25, pay my 25, pay my 25, and just marched on through. And I, I look at it as he was very kind to us. He helped them maybe lose it. I don't know how that happened. But whatever the case was, 
I didn't complain. But all the way through, it was just a, a challenge. It was a little challenge, but it was a challenge every single month just to think about it again. Now, I don't know. We go through a lot of different things. I've never been in the spot that these people that James is talking to have been in. Because there's a lot more to the context to just the fact that their salaries were withheld. It quite possibly have been because they were believers. Their salary was being withheld. They were living in persecution like we do not know. And there might have been a lot of other factors in there too. And James is calling them to do what Christians ought to do. And it really doesn't matter what the context might be and the trouble might be. I think walking by faith is what we ought to do. And patience is a sign of it. And so he can address this very quickly, and the context just pops out right in front of us. Be patient, brethren. Now, let's focus on the illustration of it today, because this is really important in verse number 7. The illustration is that of a farmer. I think we know this topic somewhat pretty good around these parts. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. Now, I'm going to weave all three of those positive aspects I told you about as the application into this illustration. The production of works, the production of self-control, and the production of reliance on God. They're real easy to see. The production of works are, are pretty obvious when we talk about the farmer. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, it says. You know what that is. He's gone out and he planted his seed, didn't he? Now, is that typical of seed? Is that what you do with seed? Some of you don't know if this is a trick question or not. That's what we do with the seed. We take it out in the field and we plant it, don't we? That's a real simple thing. We plant the seed. We plant the seed. We did not invent the seed. We did not invent it. We plant it. Seed was meant to be planted. We plant it. We're doing exactly what God designed the seed to do. Right? God designed it. We plant it. That's our part. You can't just put it out in the, in the barn or even in a hopper of some machine or something like that and say, okay, let it happen. You have to start the machine. You've got to drive it out on the field. You've got to make sure it pops those little holes in the ground when it's putting the seed in there. Right? You've got all those things to think about. There's a lot to it. But you got to do it, don't you? you got to get up and do it. It doesn't happen on its own. You've got to plant the seed. But see, God designed it that way. God did design work, by the way. Sometimes they treat life as if Satan had that idea. That was God's plan. What did Adam do in the garden before sin? He worked it. He worked it. God designed it so. Matter of fact, here's some really cool verses. Ephesians 2.10. You know Ephesians 2.8, verse 9. 
For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He's talking about grace, he's talking about faith, and all those beautiful things. Those are from God, right? Verse number 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, here's a purpose, good works. That's God's design. He designed the believer, saved by grace, Saved by faith in Christ to do good works. And if we're not doing good works, then we're not doing what God has designed us to do. It's that simple. Which God prepared beforehand. He's already set this up. He made it ready. That we, this is Paul's words, listen, that we should walk in them. So what's that implied if we're not? Disobedience. If we're not walking in good works, we're living contrary to God's design. Now, I underscore it. The good works did not save me. Faith and grace is what we talked about in the previous verse. But the works shows. It's the evidence that I have been saved because I'm following God's design. That's the evidence. It's necessary aspect of living faith is that we're doing what God designed us to be. So, the farmer plants a seed because God designed it so. He puts it out in the field. Now, he's waiting. According to verse 7, he's waiting for the produce, right? He's waiting for it. Now, that takes self-control. Self-control. Leave it there. You plant it, leave it. I really haven't seen the farmer go out and start digging it back up again to say, hey, how's it doing? Would that drive you crazy to see it? He's out there every week digging it back up to look at the seed to see how's it going. He's trying to figure out, what, what, what do, do I dig this up? He's, he's fidgety. He, he just can't wait. He's, he's got he's to see if it's there. Got to see. One of my favorite things, Jeff, about your dad. Favorite stories, I love this one. I was coming home one day down the street, and his car is off the road on the other side of, of the road from our house. There's a field there. And he's laying down, face down in the field. And I thought, what has happened? His car door is there, open, and, his, and there's James out there looking face down in that field. And so I, I rushed up there, went up there, and, he, and just as I get there, he said, hey, have you ever seen this? And he's looking at how these things have sprouted up or something. I don't even know what it was, but I had been scared to death when I saw that. Said so he's right down in the field like that. I didn't know what it meant, but he was down there examining the plants, and he said they were doing what they were supposed to do. I thought that was pretty cool, but it just <laughs> caught me off guard. I'd never seen that before. Usually, somebody laying face down in a field says something to me, and I said, "What was that?" But he was examining it. Now, he wasn't digging it up. He wasn't pulling it up to see if it was working or not. There's self-control in the whole concept of waiting. Because you know, God's in charge of the rain. He gives it at the right time when he wants to. If he doesn't give it, that's his job too. But that's his department. And sometimes in our patience, we take his department and say, well, why isn't that working right? So we go, and we, we investigate, and we look, and we look, and we try to, to figure this out. Well, that's a simple thing of self-control. 
self-control is. Now stop. Let it go. You've done what God told you to do. Now wait for God to produce the results. That's his department. I'm going to be back to that in a minute. Because that's what leads to reliance. And that's the third one that goes with this. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until he gets the early and late rains. The outcome is not controlled by us. The produce is not what we produce. The process of fruit bearing is not dependent on us, folks, in that sense. You can't massage those little seeds to make them work better. All right? You don't go out there and you, you, you don't yell at them to make them work better. I've never seen that either. That would be an interesting sight. But it doesn't work that way. When Paul spoke in these terms in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there's a little interesting passage there where the Corinthians are making a big thing out of people. You know, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, and all these others. And uh, Paul writes, and then, who's, who's Apollos? Oh, he knew who Apollos was, but who is, who is Apollos? Who's Paul? Who's Peter? Who's these people that you're talking about? They're just servants. Servants who brought you the word and you believed because they brought you the word. The Lord gave them that opportunity to come. The Lord gave us opportunity to speak. He says, I just planted an Apollos. He just watered. But it was the Lord who caused the increase. That's what he says. It's God who causes the growth. We who plant are nothing. We who water are nothing. It is God who causes the growth. And he keeps emphasizing that because don't ever forget this. You are God's field. You are God's building. You belong to Him as His work. He will bring the produce. He's got it planned. Sometimes we get that a little mixed up, don't we? And we think, well, we better help him out. It's not going as fast. It's not going the way. It's not going how. We, we have all these other excuses for why we step in to do it for him. Not the farmer in our illustration. He waits. Because here's the thing. Waiting is all about us. When in reality, it should be all about God. We wait impatiently. We wait for answers. We wait and we have our solutions. We wait with our concepts. We wait and wait and wait. And we mix in all our parts when it's not about us at all. It's not about our wisdom. It's not about our strength. It's not about what we can do. It's God's work. He says, wait. Doesn't that equate to faith? Trust? Isn't that related very nicely to walking with the Spirit rather than walking by the flesh? Do we have to go through Galatians 5 again? We were there for half a year or more. But there was a difference between the two, wasn't there? Walking by the flesh and walking by the Spirit. Now this is what we know. While we're waiting, since it's about God and our trust in Him, what do we know? According to our context here, he's coming. Right? Do we believe that? Okay. 
Now, just the fact we don't know when that is, that's beside the point. The fact is, he's coming. And another fact we found at the end of verse number 11. And this is very important. It's not just thrown in there as filler verse. He's compassionate. He's full of compassion, and he's merciful. That's toward us. That's toward us. It must be quite a sight for him to look down and watch us fidgeting, impatient, pacing, and all the rest. And he loves us. And he's so compassionate. And he's so merciful. And he sees us making a mess of everything. He doesn't stomp us like a bug. He's so patient, isn't he? Isn't it great that he has patience even when we don't? This is important. The illustration leads to the importance. You ready? Can we truly call it faith when we question God every day about it? Can we? Is that what faith looks like? Talk to me about Gideon. Good old Gideon. He's in Hebrews chapter 11. Must have lived a whole life of faith, right? You've been here on Sunday nights, you say, uh-uh. This guy tested the Lord four times before he ever went into the battle. Four times. You say, well, I know the fleece wet and dry, but that two times. Oh, there were two other times, too, that he had to know. Is that really you, Lord? Is that really you? Is that really what you wanted to do? His favorite word was if. If you are with me. If I found favor with you. If, if, if. That's all he ever said to the Lord. That is not faith, folks. When the Lord says something, faith says, okay, I'll do it. Or I'll wait. Or I'll I'll follow your instructions. That's faith. Faith is not... The Lord says something, and you say, well, if that's true, that's not faith. I'll tell you another example of this. It's not very pleasant. But that's the very way Satan tempted Jesus in every single question. If you are the Son of God. Now, I I just have to say it personally, because I know the story. So if you think I've picked you out just this week because I wrote this sermon about you, it wasn't. It was about what I know. I don't know how many times I brought that to the forefront and said, Lord, if you are really a God who's watching over me, if you are really loving me, if you are really intently interested in my life, then why? Have you been there? So many times. The farmer doesn't say why, because he waits. He does what he's told to do. He leaves it in the ground and lets the Lord do it. Now, that's not the verse that says God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> all right? That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying God designed this for you to do this. Now, you do this, and that's all you do. Until he says, now go out and pick it. That's hard to wait. It's hard to wait. But why is it that we question God at every turn? 
I don't think that faith is the right word to give to that. He gave us the work to produce, but we procrastinate. No, I shouldn't say we, should I? I do. Do you? He gives us the work to do. Sometimes we don't go out and do it. And all the while we're saying, Lord, if you only direct us. I always love that one. People who say, I, I need to know God's will. I'm going to sit here and wait until I get God's will. God's already given you his will. It's just there. You say, well, where is it? He says, well, God says his desire is for you to work and to will according to his way. His will is that you think his way. His will is that you do it his way. And I think if you do it his way, then he directs you in the path. My theory, I tell my kids all the time, they could finish the phrase, Megan, boy, boy, she, she would tell you to. It's hard to steer a parked car. Don't try it. It has to move before the steering wheel does take effect. So many times we sit and wait, and we wait, and we wait, and all the time God has already told us what to do. He calls us to self-control, but we go and plant it and dig it up, 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 and dig it up again. He calls us to trust Him with the results, the how, and the when, and the what. Is all his department. And he says, trust me with the results. And then the day will come when I tell you, go pick it. You see, faith is not just a doctrinal statement. It's a way of life. It's the way you live. Based on what you know. Based on what you know. There's uh, scriptures that... Our time is always so short. John, in his epistle, writes about... And I, I just want to do this. You're, you're close to it. Turn back to First John. Just going to show you a handful of verses here. That John is so encouraging in this passage, and yet at the same time, he's just beating us black and blue. All right. And what John says here. Let's go to chapter one first. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that your sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus? You do. Good. That's good, because John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. Now, do you see a question mark with that? No. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I take that as a very clear statement of what he's done. That's what he does. He forgives and he cleanses. Wonderful. Chapter 2. Verse number 1. Chapter 2, verse number 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What's that? He's standing there pleading on our behalf, right? And what's it about? Sin. And what's the answer to sin? Him and His sacrifice for us. Because the next verse says, because he himself is the propitiation. Isn't that a great big word? Atoning sacrifice. 
Maybe the NIV has it that way. Uh, it, it is the, he is the sacrifice for our sin. He is. He knows it, do you? Are you convinced of that? Jesus is the solution to your problem? And he took care of that as your advocate. Now he stands before God and he pleads on behalf of his own sacrifice on your behalf. I think that's a wonderful fact. I say, I believe that. I believe that. Verse number, or chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. The one who abides in love abides in God, and God's abide, uh, God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Okay? How many of you are a little bit concerned about standing before him someday? We're not going to confess that one, are we? Uh, you say, okay, I have to stand before Yeah. Are you going to approach it confidently? You say, well, am I allowed to? You know, most of us say, I don't know how to do that. Usually we're, we're kind of reserved about that whole idea. We're not sure we should do that. But that's not based on you folks. That's based on the facts you've just read. Your confidence before the Father is not on what you have done. It's on what Christ has done. Right? So, can we be confident? Absolutely, because the facts are the facts. Jesus died for your sins. Is God going to say, hey, oh, but that one? No. Jesus died for your sins. Have they been taken care of? Yes. You can stand before the Father. That's what James, or John is saying here. We have confidence. That's why he poured his love out in us and all these other things. I say, okay, John, you're telling me something. I know it's important. Back to, to chapter 3, verse 19, 20, and 21. Chapter 3, 19 through 21. We know that by this, that we are of the truth, and will assure our hearts before Him. It's because of the truth. And whatever our heart condemns us, and boy, it's good at that, God is greater than our heart. I love that phrase. And he knows all things, by the way. Beloved, if our hearts does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. You see, he dealt with the issue. He dealt with the issue. What condemns us, God dealt with. Now our hearts can stand fully assured before him. No need to fear. No need to fear that day. No need to fear that day. I like what John had said to us. If I went to the writer of the book of Hebrews and said, now what can you teach us about faith? He would tell you first off, what's the first verse? Faith is a confidence of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He's talking about confidence. He's talking about assurance. He's talking about people who walked forward because they believed God. All the way through, that's the story, isn't it? Because they believed God, they stepped forward, they stepped forward, they stepped forward. It wasn't about where that was going to end up, or what that step was going to take. But it was, they knew the one who told them to step. That's the confidence they had. They'd never seen him, Peter says, but you still loved him? you never seen him, but you walked. 
because he told you to. You see, that's the works that we're we're talking about here. That's the self-control that sits on this side of it. That's the production of reliance that he's built in our hearts. That's the living faith I've been talking about that I bring you back here to James to talk about that farmer. He illustrates it for us. Because if we've been made new creatures in Christ, let's be new creatures, folks. Let's not be the old thing that did it its way. It's timing. It's strength. Fidgeted the whole time because it wasn't going at the speed in which it wanted. We're supposed to be different than we ever were before because of Christ in us. Spiritually, we're supposed to be maturing every day, right? We're supposed to be better at this. If you're saying, boy, I've always had trouble with patience. Stop it. There's no need for that to be always. We're to grow. We're to trust. We're to follow the Lord's work, for it is God who is at work in you. Both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Alright, I gave you a lot, didn't I? I just asked you like I did last week. What kind of faith do you want to be revealed with? If somebody looked at you and said, I'm going to describe your faith, what do you want them to see? A genuine faith or an artificial one? Do you want them to see a vibrant faith or a faded faith? Do you want them to see an active faith or a stagnant faith? Do you want them to see an exciting faith or a wearisome faith? Do you want it to be living or sputtering? That's the faith I'm talking about. That's what James is addressing here. See, it wasn't about patience after all, was it? Is about trusting Him. Heavenly Father, we have a lot to learn. We have a lot to learn. You are so good to us. I can't get over that, Lord, as I think about it. How very good You are to us. Constantly active in our life. Nurturing us. Working with us. Correcting us. Training us as we go along. Helping us to mature. Lord, what I... What a task it is you have given uh, and you've invested in when you've gave us life in Christ. It's a remarkable thing to me, Lord, to note that the end result will be that we shall be like him. And that is what you will accomplish. <laughs> you will not fail. And I'm so glad for that. I want to be a willing participant in the process. I want your will to be mine. I want your, your perspective to be mine. I want to do it your way, walk your way, to live your way. And as you work in my heart, Lord, help me, help me to communicate that well that many of us walk together on that path. What an exciting thing that would be. Lord, instill within us your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.